welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of MedTech. Welcome back to the show, everybody. And we got him back. We got him back, ladies and gentlemen, the great, the inspiring Jim Heath. We got him back on the show. Um, you know, one of the most listened to episodes of our show to date so far is Jim Heath. Um, and I think it says a lot just because of the number of people that he touched, inspired, and whose careers and personal lives he's, he's helped build. You know, he's made people not only better professionals, but better human beings. Uh, through his leadership. And so I had Jim back on for this episode, though. Uh, we covered his approach to building a team. You know, what does it mean to build a great team? How do you manage a great team? How do you take somebody who may not be that great and turn them into great? So we cover all that and more. And what I think is very interesting, many of you may not know this, but Jim, prior to his uh, professional career in medical devices, was actually a, a college football head coach. And coincidentally, and I found out about this after the show, because I think if, he, if I knew this before the show, I would have given him a, more of a hard time. He actually coached my rival uh, uh, college's team. So he was the head coach over at, um, at New Mexico State University. I went to UTEP, of course. Um, but I'm not going to hold that against Jim. But yeah, in this episode, we kind of covered those topics about what does it mean to get a, get a team together, uh, build people, and manage a great team. And for those of you who are curious about Jim's um, initial episode from last year, I'm going to leave links to them down below in the bottom. It's episode number 31, of course, if you just Google Jim Heath State of MedTech, it'll pop up on Google or YouTube or wherever you decide to watch it. I'll leave the links below for you, though, just to make it easier. Now, before we get into the episode, I got a couple of quick announcements to share with you. Number one, um, if you have Salesforce in your in, in your organization, or if you're considering buying Salesforce, let me tell you my experience when it comes to it. We all have an idea of what Salesforce is going to do for us, but then it's really just a data set. This is why it's very costly to manage it. Uh, you have to get an admin for it and everything. All that is worth it. The problem, though, is entering data into there is a time suck, right? You know, the quality of data that gets in is going to dictate whether the, you know, what, what quality of decisions you're going to be able to make. And a lot of times the data doesn't even make it in there because, you know, reps are busy. This leaves reps with a lot of information they need to close deals. And as a sales leader, a really awkward time at the end of every quarter where you're scrambling around, maybe hitting up marketing for help because you're trying to get the data out and figure out like what decisions you need to make. Well, it shouldn't be like that anymore. Clary is the leader in revenue operations and intelligence. They are pioneering a category around revenue, collaboration, and governance which means how do you, across your organization, between sales, marketing, and other uh, departments, run revenue so you can be more predictable when it comes to your sales pipeline, you can accelerate it, and more importantly, close more deals. We've never said, and I don't care what company you've been in, nobody ever said, man, I closed more deals thanks to Salesforce. A lot of companies say, man, we closed a lot more deals thanks to Clary. So I highly recommend whether you're a startup or 
a larger company, go and get that demo and analysis from them. It's amazing. You, you definitely learn a lot. You can get that demo. Just click the link below in the show notes or head to clary.com, C-L-A-R-I.com to learn more. Just be sure to mention the show and my Bay Area peeps, guess what? Papa's coming home. Uh, I am actually returning back to the Bay. I'm not moving back to the Bay. Sorry, everybody. But I will be in the Bay Area uh, for Dreamforce. That's uh, Salesforce's big event. I'm going to be teaming up with Claire. We're going to have an amazing fireside uh, that we're setting up. I'm going to re- you know, share more details about that soon. But if you're interested in attending that event, go ahead and shoot me a DM on LinkedIn or send me a message, email. You guys know where to, know where to find me. And finally, is your sales team struggling to get access to physicians just like everybody else? You're trying to find a better, more effective way of driving product adoption. Well, that's why I put together the Medical Sales Network Effects Program, which is a program, private community, and weekly coaching calls where I help reps, VPs, and CEOs understand how do you use social media platforms like LinkedIn to drive product adoption, to sell at scale, even attract investors. Here's a, a testimonial from one rep who uh, went through the program. I actually trained him and his team. And here's something that happened literally within three weeks of him going through the program. I tried to reach out to this one surgeon. I posted recently on LinkedIn about launching a bunch of new products in this year, in 2023. He accepted my connection request, liked that comment, and two days later booked a case with this new technology that we had showed him two days later or two days prior. So it was like all like a methodical step. So in the surgery yesterday went pretty well. He agreed to try it again. Um, so I think from our standpoint, it was a, it was a win, win, win of getting the connection on LinkedIn to seeing our content, having a good inner office meeting from a standpoint of being able to talk with the surgeon about the new technology and what his peer was doing, and then having a successful case where he would want to use the product again. And let me tell you, those kind of testimonials never get old for me, whether it's selling and driving more uh, pi- pipeline, uh, developing one's career. I've had many people who've gone through the program and got discovered uh, and, and essentially leveled up, moved from director to a VP level or rep to a manager level. It's a great program. It's an amazing community, and I want you in it. If you're a rep listening to this and you're ready to level up, click the link below. I went ahead and discounted the course and the program. Because if you listen to this show, I want to reward you. And if you're a sales leader who's interested in getting my help directly with your team, go ahead and reach out to me. Send me a message, and I'd love to talk to you to see how I can help your team use social media to drive product adoption at scale, attract investors at scale, and win the market. So with that being said, here's our episode with Jim Heath. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. And of course, one of our top episodes last year, which by the way, uh, my guest today has uh, a lot of humility and is quite humble and jokes about the fact that he has no idea who would listen to it. But the number one episode, pound for pound, by a large amount, most downloaded episode is our episode with Jim Heath. Jim and I have become good friends, mainly mainly through books and so, you know, Jim has been really uh, fantastic just in terms of being a mentor to me, just in terms of my business. And of course, a lot of you, whether it's on LinkedIn or Instagram, have always sent me messages. When is Jim going to come back on the show? We want Jim to do this and that. So even though he's enjoying retirement, I was able to twist his arm and say, Jim, can you come back on the show? And the best part about this 
is not only has he come back and we have a great topic to cover today, he decided to join the good the good side and grow a beard just for this episode. Jim Heath, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I want to look like Omar, except that mine's great. You know, your beard can mentor my beard, though. You know, it's it looks good on you. You know, like you know, there's a saying in in Turkey. It's they say like a man without a beard is like a cup of tea without sugar. So I guess the beard's the sugar. You know, so at least that's why I tell my wife. Tell people it's perfection. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. 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 So, Jim, you know, one of the topics that I, I get asked about most often, especially in relation to your episode, is that, you know, for one, medical sales today has become a lot more complex, a lot more difficult, more competitive than it was even five or 10 years ago. And so the importance of building really strong, like, number one, attracting talent, building strong teams, retaining that talent is more difficult because think like the strikers, Medtronics of the world, the Medtech stars, they're not just competing with each other for talent. They're competing with Facebook, Google, I mean, really competitive places, right? And so, you know, maybe the first place to start is that what were some of the key tenets in terms of the foundation you think of when it comes to building a team as a leader that you kind of took away from Striker? Well, I I had the, the benefit of being able to see some really good teams, I, I so when I when I went to to uh, Stryker, I had the uh, uh, ability to kind of get inside some of the 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 uh, the, the teams that were they really performing well and, and get a chance to see them up and close and the, and the, and when I joined Omar, the, the company was much uh, smaller as as I had mentioned I think in the last uh, episode. And so it allowed me to to see uh, up close and personal some some really good teams and and some really good leaders of those teams and and what what made those teams so good so that that's kind of how I I was able to to uh, uh, to see that and then, and then in my former career in athletics and uh, I was I was at Ohio State University and I was with the football team that was a perennial big 10 powerhouse. And, and I saw the makeup of, of what, how that, uh, that team, uh, had evolved and, and how, uh, coach Bruce had put, uh, put together a, a really strong team. So, uh, I was, I was very fortunate that I, I had some pretty good role models there. Yeah. And I think that's, what's very interesting about your approach to building teams and leadership is that, you have this background as, you know, from football and you're, you're also a head football coach. So maybe we'll start like the, the first thing, which is like recruiting the right team, you know, striker and large organizations do Gallup polls and other things, which helps in terms of selecting the right bias and culture fit. But we talked about before the episode, the importance of having a sort of a diverse team. And again, uh, I think the diversity thing is kind of thrown around in a lot of different ways this year. We're talking about people who can look at a problem from different angles, which my yeah. uh, late mentor, Chris Sells, talked about. He talked about how you, how do you look at for selecting the right team members that fit the mold, but again, provide that different perspective so you can have an all-star team? Yeah. Well, it's, I think that it goes without saying uh, in, in athletics or in business or in whatever organization – uh, to build a great team, uh, it starts with uh, with having great people around you, and uh, I think that 
And in the case of Ohio State, what I saw was they were able to recruit the very best from across the country, the very best, uh, the, the, the best talented uh, players from not only from Ohio, but uh, everywhere. And so being able to, to uh, attract and recruit the, the very best, I think, is goes without saying. But I'd also say that it's also about fit and culture. And so you could say, well, you know, they just go out because it's Ohio State and they've got the resources and so on and so forth. They can they can hire they can recruit really good people, which is true. But there is a fit and a culture piece of this thing that I think is very important as well. And the this, the fact that Ohio State University or name a University of Alabama or the New England Patriots or just name a name a team and I'll get off the athletic uh, uh, analogies here in a second. But what one of the things that the sustained success for that is the ability to attract people who will also who are talented, but will also fit into the culture and 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 help you build that culture. And so uh, I think that is that is really important, too. And that and that means that there's going to be uh, some 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 diversity in the in the makeup of that team. So everybody thinks that everybody on that team is a bunch of everybody's an all star. Well, yeah, they're all good. They're they're all good or great players. But sometimes you have these role these role players, these role players that have their their uh, individual contributions that are vitally important to the success than the long-term success. And they're kind of the glue that holds the, holds the thing together. So there was a guy, and I'll, I'll just use this, since I'm on the Ohio State uh, analogy here, there's a guy named Glenn Cobb. And Glenn uh, is from Ohio, uh, and he was a, a starting linebacker there. This is the early 80s. And Glenn was one of the hardest working guys I have ever seen in my life. He was not the most talented guy by far. There were other uh, there were other linebackers that were that were more talented, and you know he was a little bit undersized. He was about six two, maybe one hundred and ninety pounds. What you think about you know these linebackers today are you know two fifty or sixty anyway. But he was the glue really that held that defense together. He was the guy that set the pace every practice. He was, he was one of the most positive guys. And, and he, I, I watched this guy every day. Uh, and I know he played in a lot of pain and everything, but the, the, the guys loved him and the coaches loved him. He was a, he was a, he was a sincere guy. He was a very spiritual guy, et cetera, et cetera. And he was, but he was vital to that. There were guys who were probably better than him. There were better, there, there were better than him. But you need that as part of this, of this building a great team. And I, I think as you move into a, a business scenario, that you have to have people on your team, you know, again, who are talented and have the skill sets, but it also can get along and, and can you that, that uh, have the relationship skills that when times, when, when you have crises, which you're always going to have, or you have things that go bump in the night that these people can hang together and they can work together and and uh, and get through them. So 
I think it's, you know, talent's one thing, but you also have to have this, you have to have different players of shapes and sizes and, and uh, uh, thought processes and uh, that, that can hold this together and, and help make it sustainable and, and make it build and build it over time. It's a great point. And I'm glad you mentioned this, this concept of a role player. I think, you know, um, again, this is just from my observations that, you know, a long time ago, especially even in the late 2000s, you know, med device sales was very much like kind of like a lone wolf individual sport. You know, you, it's really based on your ability to get into a hospital, penetrate a market, develop those relationships. Now it's just, again, crowded marketplace. It's a lot more competition. So there's more of a need for, you know, better marketing team, team, yeah. uh, more of a team effort. How, what would your advice be to leaders when it comes to evaluating talent? Like what kind of traits and characteristics are you looking for that would identify somebody and say, you know, they may or may not be a presence club winner. We'll see, but they're going to be a great role player, great fit to make the team better. What, what, what do you look for? What kind of questions do you ask? Well, again, I tapped into some of the, the really the very best managers that Stryker had. And I asked them, what are the questions you I asked them essentially what you just asked me. And the, 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 the great managers had a process of, and they knew what they were looking for. They were looking for somebody who in, in, a, in a sales scenario now, they're looking for somebody who could build relationships in a hurry that had had a great service uh, uh, component to them that they that they were going to service they were going to pr uh, provide the best service to their customers every single day they get back to them they were persistent they whatever they said they were going to do they were going to do so they had this or they were high integrity people and and those were kind of some of the, 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 the very basics. And they also like to see maybe a track record of success that they had done something, whether it was selling med devices or selling something, but they had been able to build relationships. We used to, remember back in the day, we used to hire a lot of people who uh, sold copy machines. If you remember those days, uh, copiers and fax machines, but those people had to be on their own. They had to knock on doors. They had to be very persistent. They had to, to, to understand that uh, they were going to get a lot of no's, uh, but they would find ways to, to kind of get in the door, make their, you know, make their sales pitch. And then they had to provide great service and, and establish a, a rapport with, with their customers. And a lot of these guys had, you know, had recurring business and so on and so forth. So, I think those, all of those traits were things that we, uh, and then ultimately I looked for. And I would say this, Omar, that they, it comes in all shapes and sizes. And, and I think, you know, once, once they kind of identified those traits, I had a, we had a, a process and we tried to make the process very robust. So we wanted to, to make sure that we, that we made it very difficult to get in the door. If there, if you will, so there was, there were, uh, there were, there was a screening process over the phone, and then if that after that, then they may there was a, a face to face, uh, and then there would be a another face to face, and sometimes there would be a ride along with a with the sales rep. 
sometimes, especially with uh, with with uh, new sales managers, we would have uh, a more experienced sales manager, somebody who had done a, did a very good job with hiring, bring them in. Uh, and then we'd have, we'd put them through this Gallup profile and see how they, how they, uh, paired with our very best. And then we'd bring them inside. So this is a long, you know, uh, process. I think they even do, uh, uh today, I think you have to uh, make a presentation and, you know, it, it's, it's difficult, but that ensures or, or not, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent, but it, but it, it better ensures that you're going to bring the right person onto the team that can do those kinds of things. And, but one of the things as the manager, we were, I was trying to assess how would this individual fit with the rest of the, with the rest of the team? Are they going to be a pain in the neck? Are they going to be an outlier? And I would tell you, I can, I can handle maybe depending on the size of the team, I can handle one or two pain in neck. Actually, a lot of the salespeople are pain in necks in their own, in their own way. I, I say, some of the best, yeah. as they get better, they become more and more of a pain. What I wanted to make sure, I didn't care about, you know, their relationship, you know, so much the pain in the neck to me, but were they going to be a pain in the neck to the, to the rest, to, to like the inside people, to the, to our service, customer service people and those types of things. Cause that, that's, that's another story. If they want, I mean, they would, they would push me as a manager, but I just didn't want them, you know, killing people inside. So <laughs> how do you, how do you screen? Yeah. And, I, and, you know, I think it's, it's a good point that you put, you know, I think the interview process is really taken for granted. And especially when it comes to yeah. like a sales leader, it, you know, saying, Hey, this is somebody I used to work with. And it's almost like that person gets almost like a much easier time. So it seems like have more rigor in the hiring process and you'll have much more success on the retention because if you hire the wrong person to get yeah. them out, interview, rehire, like that might be two, three quarters, you know? Yeah. That could, you it, could kill, you could kill a market, you know? You're absolutely correct. And, and I, I would, I, I tell you that I actually got more rigorous the, the longer I, I was uh, managing because I, I just, as you just mentioned, you know, when you, when you go through this process and then all of a sudden, as my old boss used to say, you have this sick, sick feeling in the pit of your stomach six months later that you know you made a mistake, um, that that is painful and it's, and it hurts your business. It hurts your, your relationships with your customers as well. So we wanted to make this as rigorous as we, as we possibly can and, and to, to ensure that we, we had the right people, but also I was to this, to my uh, comparison a little bit earlier, I wanted to make sure that they were going to be a right fit for the, for the team as well. And, and, um, uh, so that was, and that, and that's, and that's, you know, that, that takes some time, but I, I am stunned in, in, I, I work with a, with a few, several companies, uh, just kind of an ad hoc basis. I'm stunned at the, at the lack of rigor in, in the hiring process. You know what? Well, we got to get moving. We got to, you, know, you know, we got an opening here. We got to get, and, and I'm so, I just stop. Make sure that you're take your time because even though it, it's going to take you maybe a few more weeks or maybe even a month or, but do not do not compromise on that because that is just it really really hurts you and that and that can be and that can be on the inside as well if you're building an inside team 
of making sure you've got the, the right people, the right players in, uh, you know, on the team that are going to fit the various roles that, that, you, uh, uh, that you need uh, to, to have a successful project. I'm glad you mentioned that. I got to ask you, what was the mistake that you made in your you know, time as a, ma- as a manager, hiring manager? Like, what was that one hire you made that kind of taught you a lesson that changed you? If you if you're okay sharing that, well, I, I made a I made a <laughs> I made a number of mistakes, but what was were, the most painful one? And there's been quite a few. I think the ones that are the most painful are the ones where somebody comes back and they and they uh, and and you have an integrity issue. Performance, okay, it, it's a hard you know these are hard jobs. I uh, you know and I, I know that people who listen to this they, you know they they've got difficult jobs. So performance, you know, maybe it's just it's just a bridge too far. But when you have integrity issues where they where they violate integrity, they steal from the company, or they're doing something uh, with customers that's that is uh, just not part of our part of the values, those are painful, and I uh, they they really disappoint they really disappoint you as a manager. That how did I not see that? How did I? How did I miss that? That's those are those are really really difficult uh, when you when you have those. If you if you go back in with some of those hires that because you, you know you you ran an entire division you you've hired a lot of people when you look back at some of the ones that maybe weren't a great fit do you feel like the signs were there during the interview process and you just you know overlooked it or was there just no way of avoiding it you know I think it's a really good question I I use I had a, there's a, uh, a gentleman, I, I'm not going to, I will just, I'll call him, uh, his name was Jim as well. And he was a, a storied regional manager at Stryker, had a long, long successful career and was arguably, I think, one of the best regional sales managers that the company has ever had. And I learned a ton from him. And he told me, he gave me a, a couple very short, but very powerful bits of advice. And he told me, he said, Heath, in the interview process, I'd make people prove they're good enough to work here. And I thought about that and I said, you know what that is? Because what happens when you're interviewing and you've got an opening or or you're or you're trying to build a team internally, you know, you're you've got I gotta I gotta fill this, I gotta put somebody in here and you know, and uh, well this person looks pretty good. They've got ten years of experience and you know, oh boy, you know, and I, you're falling in love constantly with whomever you're speaking to. And Jim's approach was, I don't think you're good enough to work here. You prove to me that you're good enough to work here because this is a special place. And I think it was, I think it was one of the most valuable pieces of advice that I got uh, when I was early in my career. That you had, you, know, you had, you know, that I just, I looked at it a whole different in a whole different light. Um, so that probably helped uh it helped me tremendously but in terms of the you know are those red flags the only other thing i would tell you that jim also told me was that if you get in the process and even is you could be down at the very end of the uh of the process and you there's something that just doesn't feel right nine times out of ten you're right so i i kind of got to this this part omar where i said i trust my gut if it doesn't, I won't trust my gut necessarily to hire somebody, but I will trust my gut if something doesn't feel right. Because I, I have hired people where I'm like, mm, I don't, I don't know, there's something there that's not. And I would tell you that 
80 percent of the time 90 percent of the time something manifest and it's invariably it was you know say it was some sort of integrity thing and i so I trust my gut, and I and I make them prove they're good enough to work at uh, uh, wherever it is I was at. It's fu- you know it's funny you mentioned that. I think here in the West, we uh, compared to let's say like the Eastern part of the world, we we don't focus a lot on intuition or that gut feeling. But I think you're absolutely correct in saying that. And I it was funny. I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday about this. Like even Warren Buffett talks about the use of like quote unquote your gut or intuition. It's a great book that I read. Um, Maybe we can we can read it because I, I I reread it often called uh, Living in the Light by Shakti Gowan. It's like a it looks like a hippie book, but it it talks about how do you train your intuition. And the thing about intuition, I think your gut feeling is that it's unlike the ego. It's never this strong feeling of like this is the thing to do. This is the wrong. It's always a very subtle thing with no details. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to to listen to it. And I think yeah. that like learning how to train that is is extremely important you know especially as it comes to, as 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 you get more experience everything but there's something to be said about that i like that that i guess you can call it a heuristic which is you would never listen to your gut when it comes to hiring somebody but when it comes to not hiring them you would is that correct amen interesting amen. but um but none of these things are foolproof uh, as you as you as you would suspect because i i uh I have done the other thing. I have I have rejected when I was in a uh, uh, a sales executive's role. Uh, went back to insurance, and I I'll, I'll give you the, the flip side of this. I uh, a one of our very top managers uh, who had done extremely well. He sends this this gentleman into uh, into Stryker because that was kind of the final. It was. I wouldn't call it a rubber stamp, but for this guy, it was pretty much a rubber stamp because he just, he had hired some really, really good people. So he brings this guy in and I interview him and I'm, t- it was the worst interview I've ever, one of the worst interviews I've ever had. And this, this guy didn't look me in the eye. He kind of gave me the, the wet dish rag, uh, uh, handshake and, you know, I kind of mumbled. And so I called, I called, uh, this, this gentleman up and I, the, the manager, um, and I said, uh, Hey Dan, I can't call him Dan. Hey Dan. Um, I, no way. No, we are not hiring this guy. He's like, I'm telling you, this guy is a killer. He, he has done it. And he was in a different industry and his sales, his sales graphs are just out of this world. He's got great relationships. I said, you have got to be kidding me. There is no way we're going to hire this guy. So flat a month later, six weeks later, he goes, I want you to talk. I want you to talk to him again. I go, really? Come on. We can't, you know, this. So I, he brings him back in and same thing was, it was off. So he keep, you know, uh, he lets it, he lets it uh, lie for, and I said, well, Hey, we got to do something here. We got, it's a pretty big territory. And he says, I'm going to ask you to give me one, get out of jail free card. And I said, you know what? You've earned it. I, I'll give it, you get one, but I said, I am going to watch this guy like a hawk. There is this, there, <laughs> the first, his, his sales graph looked like, it looked like, uh, Mount Everest. It went, it was, which it was unbelievable. This guy just, he killed it. He was a, a multiple, uh, rep of the year. Unbelievable. I mean, just, it was incredible what this guy did. And I went out with him. I went out with him. His relationships were, and his service orientation, what we call service orientation, was 
off the charts. Just incredible. One of the it was one of the poorest interviews I've ever had, and he and he just absolutely killed it. And I and he knew it. He knew that I had I had um, rejected him uh, a couple times. And I got up on the stage when he won the <laughs> rep of the year for I don't know the third third or fourth time. I got up and I and I said I I apologized to him in front of the entire sales force because he knew it. I I said I I rejected this guy you know uh, a couple times, and I said. It's one of the worst decisions that I had ever made. And I said, and he's proved me wrong. And, and I, I, I want to apologize to him in front of everybody for what I, for my, That's uh, amazing. my mistake, because, it, it, because he knew it and he would, and it, and it was a little bit of animosity, you know, between the two of us. And I, uh, but I apologize. It, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Huh. Oh you know, that's, you know, I, I'll tell you, Jim, again, I try not to use too many sports analogies, but like I really do look at salespeople and sales. It's like athletics and sports. It's like, you know, it's the same way, but I, I'll add a twist, not a twist to it. I'll add it uh, on top of that. It's very much like when the NFL is picking quarterbacks out of college because it's, it's so all over the place. Like, look, Tom Brady, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time he was drafted, I think, what, in the third or fourth round. All Every scout was like, this guy's too short. He's not fast enough. If you look at his um, his a famous uh, video where it shows him like, yeah, and he has, he's, he's like in his 20s, but he's got like full-on dad bod. It's just like, this guy's going nowhere. And I think that with salespeople, it's very much like that where uh, sometimes p- certain salespeople who have like this unbelievable record, they come into an organization and they produce nothing, like terrible hires. And on the flip side, at least my time at Missouri Robotics, I remember there were salespeople we hired from like, I don't know, fitness. There's a couple of people who came from electronics. They had no experience. Some straight out of the military. And they just found a way to succeed. If you go back like with this guy, I mean, if somebody doesn't have a good handshake, uh, you know, they, they're mumbling. They just have a bad interview. Like it's hard to see past that and see that they were good they were a good fit. His, so this person's track record was really good on paper. What what was it? Was it just that interview was just, it was so bad. It kind of overshadowed all the good stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, I guess I had final say, but it was more, I just wanted to, I wanted to see the people who were going to interface with our customers uh, when I was the, when I was the head of uh, sales for, for instruments. And then we were, we were smaller at that time, but I, I mean, I, I, Met a, I met an awful lot of uh, uh, the sales force, and it was a, another way for me to connect and make sure. And just it wasn't so much of a, I was double checking people. I just wanted to see what our what what our organization was looking like, and you know, and did we have enough diversity in our in our in the people that we were hiring? But um, your your point is well taken because you you don't. You can't judge a book by its cover and you can't, you know, there, there are going to be people that come in there that look like they should be on the cover of GQ uh, or Vogue or whatever. And, um, and they, boy, they, they can make it sing and they can get in front of you and wow, they can just wow you. But a lot of them don't have the persistence. They don't have the dedication. You know, are they going to get up at two o'clock in the morning and go take care of, uh, the nurse uh, at the hospital across town, all of these kinds of things. Hmm. And then here comes the the guy that I was talking about, and you know, he doesn't, you know, he didn't, he went to a, some small obscure college. He, you know, he's got a 
mustard stain on his tie and, you know, this kind of stuff. But this guy knows how to sell. He knows how to build relationships. He knows how to position products. He knows how to do all of these things. And so that's why you got to dig deep. You got to peel, keep peeling. I just, I learned it the hard way, you know, keep peeling the onion back. And even with that, you're still going to make mistakes both ways, as I, as I've just uh, uh, mentioned. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things like for me, even, you know, running my business, you know, there's certain people that I've hired and it didn't work out. Other people that, uh, that are, that are with me now are doing great. And I feel in my small world, the way I'm, I feel is that you find like the core values that are going to be most important that are like non-negotiable and anything else that you have to work on can, you know, you can, you can trade. So I'll, I'll use an example. He's going to be listening to this, but like my creative director, Raheem, um, you know, he's new at what he's doing. The guy is just incredibly smart, charismatic, very good at what he does in terms of creating creative, including like some amazing clips from our last interview. He's going to love, like when I told him Jim Heath is coming back on the show, he was like, oh man, he's like, I love Jim Heath. I can't, he made like, I don't know, seven or eight clips. Usually it's like two or three per episode. He's like that, that episode is so good. Um, but you know, as a young, as a young guy and a young professional, he's made some mistakes but those are things that have been trained, trained up to. At least what's most important to me is the guy's got a great attitude, always positive, willing to learn and take coaching and doesn't take it personally. And it's like that stuff is most important to me. Do you feel like there's some foundational things that no matter what company, whether it's a striker or a startup, that once you get these core values, everything else can be trained up to? What's your take on that? No, I, I think you're bringing in the – so really the, the kind of focus of building a high-performing team – so it, the sales organization there, the sales groups that I just talked about, we're, we're all external. And so you're, you're, it's kind of this virtual management thing. But what you're talking about, I think, is, is also very important for your, the, 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 the people who listen to your podcast, the people who you deal with on a regular basis of these internal teams of being able to uh, have, you know, to be able to select people who are going to be able to fit different roles. And, and as you, I think you just said it very, very well of that are going to do things differently than you that are going to, to do them in a, in a, maybe in a different manner. And, um, but that's okay. And they're going to make mistakes and you, you know, and if they've, they, and if you've got a culture of accountability, they're going to fix it or you're going to help them fix it. And I think that that's, that's the, that's the other part of this building these high performing teams is is getting really good people, people that are cultural fit, people who are and they have a, a diversity of thought who are are and are not going to act and talk and, and sound like you who are going to disagree. And you as the leader need to be comfortable with that, that they're going to they're going to they're going to disagree, but that collectively, if you've got the right culture and the right bit that you're all that, that the, and you as a leader have got everybody pointed where you want to go, that you can, you can build something that's, that's pretty special. And, um, um, I think that's, that's, that, that's the other part of this, this whole equation. Yeah. Get great people, et cetera, et cetera. But, but then be able to empower them, say, listen, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to, to help your, you know, help you, uh, be a great success, 
we're not always going to agree about things. That's okay, but we're good. You know, we know where we're going. What we, what we have to uh, to to do to uh, to make this thing uh, be successful, not just now, but you know, for the foreseeable future. Let me let me ask you this. You know, hiring great talent is one thing. The other mm-hmm. side of the equation, especially these days, uh, given the marketplace and everything, you know. People move around, whether it's in large companies or small, it's very common for people to move around to a better offer and everything, which is which I'm very much in support of. What's your guidance to leaders in terms of how do you retain top talent? And I guess leave you. I think as much as anything, Omar, you know, people can talk about uh, you know, money and titles and so on and so forth. But I think people people leave when they feel that nobody cares anymore. I think they. I think that's one of it, and one one part of it. When they feel that that the the that the leadership or their manage, manager doesn't care, they're not being managed. They're being micromanaged. They don't. They don't feel like they've got any power to make decisions. There's lack of trust. Uh, and that when they when they when they see those things, and when they're not waking up and running to work, they're going. They're leaving. Especially today, because and you know that's the, especially today, you want to try to create an environment where people are uh, where people are waking up every day and they can't wait to 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 do their to do their job, regardless of you know what their titles are or anything like that. That what they're doing is important. It has meaning. It has purpose, and that they're involved in a trusting, caring environment. And I, and I know that sounds. Some people think that's a little... now caring doesn't mean that 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 there's no accountability. On the on, as a matter of fact, it's the opposite. It means listen, we are all accountable. I am the I'm the the leader. We're all accountable here in this this group here to get this done. Okay, and we're going to hold each other accountable. And to create a trusting environment here, we are going to figure this thing out. And we're going to we're going to disagree about stuff. We can argue in here respectfully, but we can have an environment where we can disagree without being disagreeable, but we have got to get this, but this is what we're commissioned to do. And let's, let's do it. Let's kill it. Let's, let's get it apart. And, and you as the the leader have got to be comfortable with people calling you out, you know, and, and, uh, and people, you know, being really, really honest with, with one another. I guess I, I, I come to this thing, Omar, where, you know, People, maybe we talked about this before, but, you know, people can handle, uh, they can handle bad news. They can handle good news. What they can handle is no news. And what they really can't handle is BS. And so I think, you know, that's got to be the environment that you, that you create in these groups. And I think if you do that, I think you got a pretty good chance of keeping, of keeping people around. Yeah. You got to pay them and, you know, and, and. And make sure and acknowledge them for 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 what they do. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, again. Some people might say it's squishy, but I this this is what it takes to retain people. And I think that outside of getting uh, getting making money, especially with younger professionals, they want to know that what they're doing is important and matters, and they feel like they're actually developing and growing. Like mm-hmm. I think that you can really, you know, I know that given the changes in HR and everything, people are afraid to be tough. But I think a lot of younger professionals are craving, you know, to have 
a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure added to them, but it needs to be done in a way where you're showing that like, Hey, I've, I w I want, I have a lot of self-respect for you and I hold you to a certain standard and I know you can be better versus I think a lot of times the old school ways is like, well, if I just beat down on this person and kick them in the butt a few times, they're going to get the point. And it's, and at that point, I think subconsciously you've kind of make that made that person little by little think that they're not an A player, that they're a loser. And then that's what they end up producing. And then, I don't know, I feel like leaders are like, oh, I'm so surprised this person isn't producing. But if you look at the, the treatment of them, their feedback, you know, like me personally, like I, I hate performance improvement plans because I feel like the moment that you do it, it's already knocking the person's like confidence down. And I feel like there needs to be like a better approach to it. Like I'm all about performance, but there has to be a better way of putting, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I, I know of very few examples where somebody was put on a pip and it turned out to be a happy ending. Yeah. I, I, again, that's my limited view. What, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, well, I think it kind of goes back to what I, what I just said a few minutes ago is that being honest that you as the, as the leader, the manager of, a, a group or a team have got to be extremely honest and uh, with, with everybody, both in a group setting, but also in a one-on-one -on -one, in one-on-one -on -one settings. And I think you have to hit, you have to do both. You have to be able to have a, a group setting where, where we're all going to, we're going to check in and, you know, how are things going and what needs help and what needs support? And, you know, this is going sideways. we got to fix that. Okay. So you can kind of have that, and, and again, if you have a, a, a trusting environment, you can, you can, you're going to get to the bottom of these things. But I also think it's incumbent upon the, uh, the, the manager to, to meet with people one-on-one -on -one. and not to, 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 to nitpick or to, to micromanage it, but just to, Hey, you know what? Last week, that was great. You know, really, really like, what are the, what are the two or three things that are really challenging it right now? You know, and, and, but, and also have a personal side to it. I mean, so that you show, listen, I care about you and I want to, and not this kind of superficial, you know, Hey, how's it going? You have a nice week. Okay, great. All right. Now about the project, let's you know, um, I think you have to, to, to get to know these, you know, these, these folks and what's make, makes them, make them tick. And if they're not holding up their end, I think it's incumbent upon you as a manager to say, you know what, this is the third week in a row where we're, we're behind. And I've asked you, if you need help, I can help. I can give it to you. We will we'll support you. But this has got to change. Tell me what we're going to do. All right? Are you? Do you agree? I mean, you know, and I, I do think it's got to. I do think you, you've got to do it. I think you have to do it. Nip it in the bud. If if, if the, the performance plan that you mentioned probably should not come as a surprise to anybody if the manager is doing what they're supposed to be doing. That they know that we've got timelines, and they you know, and everybody's been, and we're you know, honest and open with one another. If they're not cutting it, well, we got to move you. You know, we got to you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to put somebody in here that's that's going to be able to pull up the end here. But it, everybody's everybody's accountable. Absolutely, and I, I like you know, just I want to point something out in in that you know miniature role play you just did, but in that in that uh, 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 talk track. You use the term like, what do, what do, how are we going to solve this? How are we going? It's more of a we thing versus, again, these, these are subtle things, but in terms for me, like great leadership doesn't start with saying like, what are you going to do? What are you, 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 you know, cause then I feel like it puts a lot of pressure on the individual. Again, I'm very much about pressure, you know, performance under pressure, but when you're managing teams, 
you know, I, I don't know. There's a part of me where I feel like a great manager is able to take an average person and pull out greatness out of them based on the rules, the the guidance and everything. Just, you know, let's start maybe maybe just out of curiosity, like for, for a territory manager or somebody who's got like maybe five or six reps under them. What's your advice on like how do you schedule and 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 essentially design a week and a month in terms of like how you check in with people? Do you, do you have an approach for that? Because yep. sometimes I feel like it's 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 too, like too many meetings is like micromanagement. Too few is not enough. Like what's what's how do you look at that? Well, I can tell you, I I will tell you, and this is I'm I'm uh, you can tell by my beard I've been I, I'm uh, I'm little uh, I am truly. Uh, Seasoned, <laughs> great. Yeah, seasoned. Thank you. That's a great, great word. But um, I can tell you what I used to do with uh, both. You know, as a, as a manager of sales reps and as a manager of managers, and I tried to make sure I tried to, to schedule things so that it was a, a regular. There was a, a, a regular one on one with with somebody once a month. I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, once a month, I, not, not once a week. So, well, I did, we did a group, we would do a group call, uh, at the, uh, at the end of the week and it would last about 30 minutes maybe. And it was, it was to, to review the week and, uh, uh, review the week. And it, it was really to, 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 to kind of, you know, Hey, nice job. This is great, you know, and, and really to to uh, to give some uh, accolades to the to the people that had a good week, but also to update them on things that were going on internally, or you know, maybe some service types of things and things that they may not be privy to. So we try to make it. It was you know, it was you know, congratulate success. Here's some things that you guys need to be aware of. Uh, you know, we got to giddy up here a little bit <laughs> in the next uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, um, but, you know, and then we would open it up and say, OK, was there is there anybody having a particular uh, challenge or anybody seen something, you know, maybe from a competitor and in that thing. So it was it was that type of, uh, of, of a uh, of a get together once a week, 30 minutes most. But and then I just probably in prompt. I mean, I, I had some reps, Omar, that would call me every other day, literally. Hey, how you doing? OK, how you doing? And some guys, you know, I mean, I had to, I had, to, you know, I was, had to go find them. Like, I, you know, they were, uh, they were, I, 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 they were, uh, uh, you, you'd think they had dropped off the face of the earth, but, and they were all different. But I, I mean, we, I got to know them and what kind of made them tick, but I wanted to have, I wanted to have it at least, you know, some sort of one-on-one uh, -on -one dialogue with somebody here, uh, I said once a month, but that was that was more for uh, one on one for managers. But for for reps, I was I was talking to people probably at least a couple times a week. I would think, except just checking in, you know, just checking in. How you doing? And and then I would I worked with you know I was I was out in the field. I I liked going out in the field. I I I enjoy. I went out when I was when I was uh, responsible for instruments. I I went out with. I tried to go out with somebody every couple months. I would uh, rep and and go into the field and and uh, just listen to customers. I I, I thought it was extremely valuable. Nice, you know, on on that same token, you know, when it comes to like checking in, when you have like a more formalized one on one, you know, how do you how do you structure between um, you know, focusing on 
the business for that quarter and the next quarter, but then also balancing out to understand, like, again, you said, like, you got to figure out how somebody ticks, you know, incentives are really big things. How, how do you think about balancing that out and figuring that out? And again, there's not like a perfect formula to this, but I feel like there's some managers where all they do is just focus on the business without even understanding what incentivizes the people that work for them. So how do you think about that? Yeah, that's, it's a, it is a, a, a good question and it's a, and it is something I think that's, that's very, very important uh, for, for all managers is to get, to get to know your people. And I, I know some of this stuff sounds like, well, that makes sense, but a lot of people don't do it. I mean, they focus solely on performance and numbers and that's it. And, and, and I, I tried to get to know the, the individual, I tried to get to know the individual. And, and like I said, I had some guys, I had a guy outside, uh, in Detroit, I had, uh, three guys in Detroit and I used guys in, in it's the Midwestern. We it's all, Midwestern. all encompassing. I'm, yeah, I'm so, from the South. I use guys as well for everybody. I had, I had three, one, one of them. I mean, I had to, like I said, I had to put his, uh, put his face on a milk carton sometimes to find out where, where he was and he performed unbelievably. He was phenomenal, but he was just, you know, Jim, I'm good. I don't really know. But I, even with that, I still, I still, I still contend. I still would call him up. Hey, tell me what's going on. Hey, you know, uh, he liked, he was a, he was a big, big Lions fan. We talk about Lions. We talk about the, the Detroit Lions or something. I just wanted him to know that I was there and, you know, I love what he was doing, but I was there and I, you know, I cared about him. I want to make sure that, you know, things were going okay because sometimes you, you, you take for granted your, your high performers and you go, well, they don't really need anything. Actually, they need more than, than, than the, these other guys. They need to know that they're, especially with salespeople who are, you know, got big egos that I've got to, you know, they want they need somebody to tell them how good they are because that's sometimes <laughs> with a slippery slope. They kind of think, well, you know, gosh, am I doing well enough? You know, and I, but I, it's so I it's so I, true, Jim. And, it's and, I had guy, and I had the guy on the other side of, the, of, of Detroit who called me, you know, twice a day almost. I mean, you know, my wife was finally, my God, when is, you know, eight o'clock at night, you know, you're down there on the phone with us. But so it just it varied and it, and it was, uh, it was, it was, it was all good, but you kind of, you kind of get to know what, what uh, makes them tick. But I, I, I always, I tried to get to know them as a person so that I, we, we weren't just sitting there and hammering out the numbers and the graphs. And the, uh, uh, I mean, that after, I mean, they, they, they know they, when you come there, you know what the, what the deal is. You go to the New England Patriots, you know what the <laughs> what you're supposed to do because if you don't, you're not going to be with the New England Patriots. And you know, striker, you know what the what the deal is. I didn't need to. There was very few times where I needed to really put the throttle down on somebody. Not much at all. Yeah, I, I think again, this goes back to if you have like a a good hiring process and some guideposts about like specifically what you're looking for and what you can train up to. I think you always you at least put yourself in a better position to hire the right person. You know, for me, I'm part of an entrepreneurial mastermind group and I'm the only guy that focuses on med tech and biotech. Everybody else is like in, in, in other industries. And we talk about training sales teams and the main guy, he, he, his name's Jeremy. He always emphasizes like salespeople are different from everybody else. Like a, 
marketing person, you can give them a plan and a goal and they'll go away for a month and they'll make it happen. He's like a salesperson. They need daily structure and they need constant encouragement. You can yeah. like, otherwise it just doesn't work. And again, it's, you know, it's, I feel like it's very much like athletes. Like there's, there's a the performance side, but there's very much like the mindset side of like, you know, how you set them up for success and how you kind of keep them focused and, and confident. Cause otherwise, like, it's kind of like, I think we've all seen it where like, there's a, there's a great salesperson, maybe they get a tough territory, a tough situation. And then like little by little over weeks and months ago, they like wither away. And at that point, mm -hmm. it's like, you, they can't be saved anymore. They got to like leave and go to a new job. You know, at least like yep. in, the, in the med tech startup side, I see that all the time, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, you have to go in there with the right expectations. So if you, if you, you, you have to go in there and, and understand that you're, you're going in and it is your business. And that's what we try to, to uh, impress upon everybody that had a sales territory. This is your business. This isn't Stryker's business. This is your business. This is Omar's business. Tell me how you want to run it. How are you going to run it? And how you ran it and how somebody else 20 miles away ran it was different. That's fine. Good. I, I mean, as long as you're getting the same results, as long as you're taking care of customers, as long as you're servicing them and, and you're getting results, I really didn't care. I mean, I didn't have a, you know, this prescriptive, you know, here's how you do it kind of thing. I, uh, and I, I think really, really good salespeople are really good. Any kind of people, they want to have the freedom to be able to do things the way that they deem appropriate. Now, they, yeah, I mean, you got to have, there's certain kind of wide guardrails, I guess, if you will. But, but I mean, everybody kind of did it. And I encourage it. I want people to do it their, you know, their own way with integrity, honesty, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that we never had to question that, but and so you're I'll do it a little bit differently and I'm telling you what, and it's, and it's good. And that's, and I think as managers, and especially when you have salespeople who become managers, that's one of the things you have to really, really make sure that the, that the salesperson, if they're, if they want to move into management, that they have to, they have to understand that the people that they hire are probably not going to do it like they did. And they might be in, you know, these super high performers, and you find that oftentimes that they like, well, what, wait, I did it, you know, I did this, this, and this, and you need to do that. And that's the way it's, that's, that's not, that, those things generally don't work for, for both sides. And so we just, we try to, you know, say, listen, let people go and do it their own way. And it's, you know, be comfortable. Interesting. So, so it's kind of like, it seems like great leadership, at least on, on the sales side involves, you know, hiring for integrity focusing on specific things like, you know, just always service the customer, uh, take care of the customer, everything. And then it's like, however you want to get there, that's really up to you. So it's almost like you have some like key tenants to follow and core values, but then it's like, however you want to get from point A to point B, doesn't matter to me as long as it get as you get there and just kind of like letting it go and just kind of like, it sounds like it's almost like being a parent. Somebody told me this about being a parent and I'm like, oh, that's a good point. And again, for, for those who, for whatever reason, haven't followed me long enough. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a new parent, I'm a new dad, but it's less about being a parent, more about being like a really good coach. Like you, you, that's, that's really, yep. you just coach to the best of your ability and then everything else is on them. It sounds like being a good sales leader has a lot to do with just being a really good coach and setting them up to sort of make that thing, that success for the business. Yep. It does. And I, and 
I said, people come in all shapes and sizes and, and have all sorts of different personalities and, and uh, uh, how they how they get there or how they get to the to the end is, you know, I, 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 I one more. I'll give you one more example. Uh, when I was back in the, the bed and stretcher uh, days of Stryker and I had gone out with this this guy who had just done amazingly well, he had. Been, when when the comp, when the bed business wasn't doing very well, this this individual had done really really well. And so I was asking him. I mean, we, we went to some of these these huge uh, city hospitals, and this thing was just money. I mean, everybody knew this guy, and we were going to these meetings, and they were just really really well orchestrated and super productive. And so I said to him, I said, Hey, what do you what do you do? Do you have like a, this back a while ago and when you had these day planners and stuff like that, I said, what do you, do you have a plan or something? He pulls and he pulled, I, I, I'm not kidding you. He pulled an envelope out of the back of his pocket that he had penned what he was going to do that day on the back of an envelope. I, I am not making this up. I'm like, that's your plan. He goes, yeah, works pretty good. He goes, I, because I just, every day, every, every night I've just, I've got a new plan. So I have it in my head and then I just write it down here and, on the, on the, and then I, I'm like, holy smokes. I mean, this was a really big territory and he had just killed it every year. And I've been with some other people who got so caught up in their, their plans and their spreadsheets and all this other stuff, but they really, they, they were kind of got it. They kind of got to the point where there was paralysis by analysis and they couldn't ever get things going. I mean, this, what this guy did was he knew that he, what his magic was getting in front of customers and showing them where they had issues or where, where, where Stryker could fill, uh, uh, fill specific needs. And he was masterful at it. And he was, had some of the best service orientation I've ever seen. So like I said, it's, you know, am I going to go in there and go, listen, you need to have these spreadsheets and you need the, you know, data and everything. You know, this guy's like, so he's going on the back of the envelope. But you know, it got it got done, and I think that you know. So uh, for this for the show, we um, uh, you know, we have this presence club series. So like somebody who's won presence club a few times comes on, and so I've interviewed three people uh, so mm -hmm. far. We're interviewing more, but the one thing I've noticed with every presence club winner is that no matter how they do it, they always have a plan, and they know what they're doing the next day. You know, and even my, my late mentor, Chris Sells, in, in the one interview that exists of him, you know, he says it, which is like, you know, as a salesperson, how do you start your day? Do you wake up and just roll out of bed, grab your briefcase and just jump in the car and turn on the radio? Or do you wake up and you have intent? Do you have a plan? Do you know who you're going to see? Why you're seeing them? And I think that, I don't know, even, you know, I'm running my own business and I have all kinds of tools for software and everything. But, you know, sometimes, Jim, I, I like it happened. I'm reviewing my quarter now. It's funny. Uh, I'll tell everybody who's interested if you end up becoming an entrepreneur or running your own business. It's funny how many things when you're working at a startup or in corporate America where you're like, this is stupid. Why do we do this? And then you start your own business and you're like, oh, now I know why we do a quarterly review or we do a weekly review and everything. So I'm doing that myself. But something some very, very simple that I found is just like at the very end of my day, take 30 minutes to just review what did I do? What did I say I was going to do? And did it get done? And then the yep. next morning when I wake up and go through my, you know, morning routine and everything, what is the very first thing that I'm going to get, going to get done? And it's just like simple things like that. It just makes such a huge difference, you know? 
I think sometimes we overcomplicate these things and it's just like, what's the one thing we're going to do in the morning and get done? That's it. Could not agree with you more. Could not agree with you more. Are you focused on the, on the three things that are really going to move the dial for you? Yeah. You know, Maybe what? All the things that are going to kind of, you know, pop up and everything, but you can't be, you can't be uh, running after the shiny object. Though. You have to kind of keep coming back to the, the focus of the, the things that are, are, are going to, going to make you know, you make, and the business successful. I'm happy you mentioned, I think that like, I don't know, just in my opinion, I, I see if you got, if you get better at managing yourself, you, you can get better at managing people. I think one of the things I've seen from great leaders is not telling, not telling people what to do, but asking the right question that puts them in a position where they have to make a choice about what they should do. And in that, in that process of asking that question, they kind of have this realization. Oh, like, I think one of the shiny objects is if you have a territory, there's this temptation to go after this new surgeon, big account, everything. But the question is like, is that really going to, is that the best way to hit your number? And are you going to hit your number that way? Or are you better off, let's say focusing on existing business and driving more adoption there? Right. So like, I think like the quality questions you ask yourself reflects the quality of life you end up having, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I agree. So, so Jim, I know, I know we're, we're close to time and I appreciate you spending time with us, but we got to wrap up with my favorite, one of my favorite segments, right? Which is not rapid fire question. I did that last time. And those rapid fire questions I asked you weren't exactly rapid fire, but mm-hmm. we got to end the way that most of our audience loves, at least for our interviews, which is some new books. So some book recommendations, mm-hmm. any books you're reading now, any books you often recommend to sales leaders, take it in any direction you want from here. Well, I would strongly suggest that people uh, either listen to or pick up a copy of Outlive, Out, Out, Outlive by Peter Attila. He's a MD and uh, he's a neurosurgeon who is now kind of more of a health and wellness doctor in, in, with individual clients. But he wrote this rather extensive book uh, on the physical, uh, nutritional, spiritual, mental well-being and, and uh, with really practical kinds of ideas that help you live, kind of live a healthy life uh, and for old guys like myself into, uh, you know, so that you're living a healthy life in, in uh, when you get to be my age and beyond. Because you see a lot of people, I mean, I'm... I'm in my late sixties and I see, you know, people that are my age that are kind of hobbling around and, you know, I, I just, uh, I want to continue to do things. And, and I, I read this book and it's, it's really, really good. I gave it, gave a copy to my brother and I think he read it in three days and I've, give, I've gifted it about uh, three, four times. And I, it's a great book. Really that was, good. that was our, our little good. miniature book club was yeah. outlive. I, I thought it was great. And I think I'm happy you bring that up. I needed. I'm I'm gonna try and get him on the show, but I feel like this is an area for salespeople that that that's not talked enough about, which is for sales, you're out on the road, you're you're away from family and everything. And so focusing on like the things you're eating, your mental health, everything is so important because like, you know, sales yeah. we- will wear on you, especially like if you're taking clients out to dinner or you know, you're at a conference or whatever it might be. But this stuff, yeah. like, I don't know, not just for the longevity side, but it it I feel like it has an effect on your performance. You know, it, it has to. Yeah, I, I think that's a. I think that's a good one for the for the for the group, uh, Omar. Um, 
What about on say on, on leadership? Any 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 books you recommend on leadership? Well, it just so happens that I am uh it was sent to me by uh um a guy who has got a, uh, who's a uh, entrepreneur, uh, got a, a small medical uh, startup, and he sent me the, the I think it's called the the Six Working Geniuses by uh, Patrick Lencioni. So it's kind of a, you know, he wrote the the five dysfunctions of a team, and this this one is I I, I don't think that's exactly the title, but it's the six it's the uh, the six. Uh, geniuses of, uh, and really it's, it's about kind of some of the things we're talking about today about having different, understanding your various strengths and the strengths of the people on the team and making sure that you have equal parts of those on a team in order for them to be successful. Because if you, if you start to force people into areas where they're, they're not, that's really not their strength or their passion, things don't get done. There's frustration and, and sometimes people leave or, you know, get fired or what have you, but it, it's, it's interesting. And it's not very long. It's a, uh, only writes in the kind of a fable type of, uh, fashion. And so there, there is a fable part of it, but then the, 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 the last third of it is, is really about kind of the, the, the model itself. It's interesting. It's, I think it's, uh, it's very interesting. It's a kind of a variation maybe of some of the Gallup strengths finder type stuff, but in a different way. And, um, uh, it makes sense. I, Cool. Um, yeah, I know that if there's one book that's often referenced by a lot of sales. It's like the five dysfunctions of the team. I had no idea he wrote another one. So I'm definitely going to pick that up. That'd be really good. good. All right. Last, last question for you. So, you know, uh, not the time of the release of this episode, but the day that we've recorded is July 12th and July 12th is a special day because it's prime day. So my question to you, have you ordered anything interesting off of Amazon prime as a result of prime day? Uh, no, but I do have some stuff coming in from Amazon for my, my grill. My, uh, all, all the, all the internal components of my grill are like super old and rusted. And <laughs> so that's nice. About it. That, that's really it. No, the big, the big day is July 16th because it's my 40th, my wife's and I, uh, 40th anniversary. So that's the, that's Oh, the congratulations. Really... Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, yeah. we got to end on, we got to end on one last note. For so, 40 years. That's amazing. What's your, so we'll end on this last note, which is like, you know, after 40 years of marriage, so that you said July 16th. So congratulations. Uh, what's your number one piece of advice to people listening to this who, who are, who just got married or have been married? What's, what's your, what's your best piece of marriage advice? I was going to say the, the best one is marry your best friend. That's, that's what I tell you. So, you know, it's to avoid, uh, uh, competing, but, um, we, we really don't compete. I mean, my, my wife has, has interests that I don't, and I have interests that she doesn't. And, and we're very comfortable with that. We love doing things together. Uh, and, uh, but she loves to ballroom dance and I'm not a ballroom dancer and, and I'm trying to, you know, I, I like to get on my bike and, and do, you know, long distance type stuff. And that's not hers, her thing. Uh, and, um, but you know, but we like, but we are going to, we are next week going to get on a tandem and I, and do the rag ride, the ride across to Iowa on a oh, tandem wow. today. So uh, we do things together like that. So yeah, it's fun. that's amazing. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. Well, Jim, look, thank, thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, you know that I'm going to get more requests again to have you back on. 
but we have fun. We have fun. I think. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're doing a wonderful job. Thank okay. you, sir. Very All good. Right. Take care. Great. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of the State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care. See you next time.